All right, well, when we were kids, one of our favorite games to play, um, I know most kids have played a form of this. Maybe you called it something different. Um, we called it King of the Mountain. Do you know this game? Yes. King of the Mountain. <laughs> one. <laughs> I like it. You and me. Uh, king of the Mountain is the game where you try to be king of whatever mountain you have. That might be a mountain of couch cushions that you stacked up into some blob and you want to be on top. Or it might be the mountain of the life raft or the raft that you are on top and everyone else is in the water. And so the, the goal of the game is you start out at the bottom of the mountain and you clamor as much as you can to get to the top. Now, if you're at the top, you are now the king. And the king is, it's great to be the king. Because <laughs> as, as king, you, like, the view is beautiful. <laughs> you're like, oh, this is lovely. And, and your job as, as king of the mountain is very simple. It's to stay king of the mountain. And to, to stay the king of the mountain, you push other kids down. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, you want to come up here with me? No! <laughs> and you just kick them down. Or like, oh, you want a little piece of this kingdom? Eat chlorine! And so you're just, <laughs> it's, it's a lovely game that has never produced a fight amongst brothers. Or <laughs> I've, I've never seen that. Um, but this, this game, King of the Mountain, taught us a lot of what it means to be a king. That the goal of a king is to stay king, it seems. Uh, to be king means you're at the top and everyone else is your enemy. And it's your job to put down your enemies. And your goal, as we said, is always to stay king. This is kind of a toxic way of seeing kingship. But it seems to be that what's influenced our view of what, to be, of what a king actually is. It's influenced our view and skewed it to what, what it looks like for the world to have power, for someone to have these power structures, for someone to, to be an authority. It's given us this false view of what a king is and to live in that kingdom. Now today, on this Palm Sunday, uh, we're we are going to talk about the coming king. That's the title of the sermon, The Coming King. And if you've been following along with us in the Gospel of John, if you've been here with us for a little bit now, we actually skipped over chapter 11, and some of you are aghast about that. <gasps> How could they? <laughs> it's okay. We're going to go back to it next week as we talk about that resurrection on Easter Sunday. Um, but for this week, fittingly, our passage is the stereotypical Palm Sunday passage where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And so I think this text gives us three invitations that I've titled here, Get High, Get Low, Get Saved. Get high, get low, get saved. First one, get high. Kind of a risky command <laughs> to give depending on your background. Uh, but what we mean by this is to see the commanding, confrontational, kingly nature of Jesus. And, and as high and beautiful as he is, right? And so Jesus, as we look at him coming into this time now, as he's coming into Jerusalem, we have to see that he is actually taking on the titles that people are giving him. He takes the glory, the laud, the honor. He takes it all at this final sprint to the top of the mountain. This is, this is Holy Week. He's taking it all on. This is, this is go time. It is do or die this last week of his life. And verse 12 says, it's all going to come down here. There's this great crowd. You see this great crowd is coming to see Jesus. And what are they waving? They're waving 
palm branches. Now, to you and me, that means maybe nothing. You've heard of it. You're like, cool. <laughs> we don't know what that means, but if you, if, to maybe help us understand what does it mean for them to be waving palm branches, one way that might help is if you've ever been to a, a parade and they gave you those little flags, and you're, you're waving these flags in support, right? There, there's, what they're doing in this time is they're waving these, these palms as support because they've been living under Roman oppression, Roman occupation. It's a signal that our hope is here, that salvation is here. It's a symbol of victory. It's, it's this nationalistic hope that Messiah liberator was arriving on the scene. And you understand that to be true because in verse 13, verse 13 says, what? Hosanna. They're shouting Hosanna, which means it's this guttural cry that means save us. Save us. They're looking to Jesus saying, save us. Save us. This is not just a, we hope you'll save us one day. It's save us from our oppressors. Save us from those who take and take and take. And they're quoting from Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, 25, it says, The Lord, save us. There's that word, Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus hears the cries of the people. He hears their, their acclamation of him. He hears them applying Psalm 118 to him. He hears all of their praise and calling him the king of Israel. And he takes the title. He doesn't deny it at all. He, he is the king. The king has arrived. And so what we need to see here is that Jesus, the king has arrived. That our king has come. And he isn't bashful about it when they say, no, he's the king of Israel. He doesn't say, oh, stop, stop. No, no, not at all. You don't see Jesus doing that at all. He knows he's the king. And all throughout the New Testament, he's, he's saying things that force you to confess him as king. I mean, he walks into the temple and he says, look what they've done with my place. He walks into the temple and he says, how dare you make my house a den of thieves? He's forcing you to consider him as the king or some lunatic. He's forcing this upon you. Every page in the New Testament, Jesus is forcing people to make a choice. It's, like, it's as if he's saying, crown me or kill me. Crown me or kill me. You have to pick one. There, there, is, there is no both sides in this one right here. Well, I can see his point over here. No, not at all. Either he is king or he isn't. He's forcing them to make that choice. And he's forcing us today to deal with that as well. Will we crown him or will we kill him? Will we actually see Jesus as Lord of our lives or not? Will you get high to see the Jesus as the matchless king? Scary saying that. Will you see him as high as he, as he is, as the matchless king in all of his wonder and glory? Or not? Will you crown him or will you crucify him? Well, what does it mean to be a king? Well, that's when we have to learn to get low. To get low. Verse 14 and 15, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. 
As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, right at the beginning of his, his coronation, at the beginning of his reign, Jesus is telling the people that he is king, but he's not that type of king. He is the king, but he's not that type of king. Because we just read that he came in on a donkey. Now, a king, a true king, would never, ever, ever come riding in on a donkey. It's not just that it's beneath them. You, could, you might expect a young child to ride in on a donkey. And you think, that's normal. That looks like what, what children do. They ride donkeys. But you would never expect a king to come riding in on a donkey because they're going to war. They, they would be coming on a war horse. And if you saw your king come riding on a donkey, you thought, we're, we're roadkill. Like, we are doomed. There is no hope. That's our king come riding in on, on the, the, the kid's play toy? Like, kings can't be gentle riding into war. This is do or die time. And he comes in lowly. What's happening? And Jesus is saying, I'm coming in as your king. I will overthrow these unjust rulers and oppressors, but not in the way that you think. I will do it, but not in the way that you think. I'm coming with an upside-down kingdom. I'm coming where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. This is very opposite of what we think. The kings, the kings of the mountain will now become the lowliest, and the lowliest will become the kings of the mountains in this kingdom. This passage tells us that even his disciples didn't understand what this, what this was, though. So if you've ever wondered, I don't know what the palm branches are about. I don't know why a donkey makes sense or why it's a big deal. The disciples didn't know what was going on either. Verse 16 says, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Isn't that encouraging? You're like, okay, good. <laughs> the guys who are walking with him all the time, they do, what is happening here? They didn't get it. So I, I feel encouraged. <laughs> but that, isn't that just beautiful that some of the best things God does in our lives, we don't understand it at the time? Like you can think back of some of the moments you think, that was so good for me, but I had no clue what God was doing at that moment. Like God was at work, and I had no clue that he was at work. But God was at work, because grace makes no sense. Sometimes God makes no sense to us. But the disciples, not knowing what's happening, uh, freeing us to understand that, they thought that Jesus was going to be this military messiah overthrowing the government, and they were trying to sing, all hail that type of king. And in comes Jesus on a donkey. And... <laughs> I'm guessing the disciples, as they saw Jesus coming on a donkey, they probably felt like Dumbledore um, in just this moment of, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, I just, you know how brash Peter is? I assume there is a, a frustration, like, get off the donkey, Jesus. Like, you're making us look stupid. Like, there is a, it just, it, it, it rocks our thinking of what the kingdom is going to be, that Jesus would come riding in on this donkey. And Hear what Jesus is saying by doing this. By Jesus coming on the donkey, what he is trying to tell them is, if all I do is liberate you from Rome, what are we going to do about your soul? If, uh, if all I do is liberate you from Rome, what are we going to do about your, your slavery to death? I think some of us need to hear that. That if all God does is liberate us from our oppressors, what's he, what are we going to do about our soul? We need him to care about both body and soul. And there's a beauty that we have a king 
Not the king of the mountain who pushes everyone else down, but the king of a donkey. Oh, it's beautiful. There's a hymn, that, that this, this classic hymn, crown him with many crowns. I'm not a good singer. I think I am, but it comes out differently. <laughs> In my head, I'm really good. And we're like, yes, the king, destroy our enemies. And then the next line is what? The lamb upon the throne. Why am I still doing it? I could have just read it. Okay, the lamb upon the throne. <sighs> We hear, we hear a king, matchless king, who's going to destroy our enemies, and then we hear a lamb upon the throne. We're going, why did you pattern that with the king? That feels like it's a king, but, it, but it's a lamb now on the throne, and that's exactly the picture scriptures give us all the time, that we have this matchless king, and it's the lamb on the throne. It's, he, he is king, yes, a king, but not in the way that we think. Jesus' glory and power comes not when he elevates himself and says to everyone, bow before me. It's when he does the opposite. It's when he gets low. And because he got low, he can bring us high. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Jesus came and flipped the kingdom upside down. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Oh, it's the beauty of getting low. This is the beauty of getting low because Jesus was low. He can bring you high if you get low with him. And what I mean by that, by getting low, it's by humbling yourself and seeing him. As the king, it's humbling yourself and saying, I'm not the king. I have to give up my kingship on this world. And I have to reach out for help because I can't do it. And so this Palm Sunday has something to say to you. This Palm Sunday has something to say to you about getting low and, and seeing our need for a king. It has something to say to you for those who may be wondering, is there anyone on the throne? Some of y'all may have had a really hard week. And you're wondering, is anyone on the throne? Maybe anxiety is rising within you and stress is getting out of control and you're wondering, God, where are you? And I want to encourage us to say, let's get low and we can see him on the throne, that he is on the throne in this moment, to see him on high. And when you get to do that, you get to hear verse 15. Do not be afraid. Your king is coming. Oh, I love that. Just how gentle and encouraging that it is. Do not be afraid. Your king is coming. Get low and see the king there is coming. There is hope. But another way we deal with the doubt that there is no one on the throne. One way we deal with it is we just freak out. Another way that we deal with that doubt is we like to put other people on that throne. And so, as we said earlier, I just think it's wild that the Pharisees said, we have no king but Caesar. Like how wild that is for anyone to say, especially the Pharisees. But I want to just ask you, are we any better? Are we any better that I have no king, but who's in the White House? I have no king, but my political tribe. And if they don't get in office, all is lost. Who is our king here? Micah Edmondson said earlier this week, Palm Sunday has something to say about Christian nationalism. 
That's a word. <laughs> if, if Jesus is king, then no nation can be claiming that king. If Jesus is king of the entire world, then we can trust God with what is happening in our country. We can trust God with what's happening all over the world, that he's king of the entire world, and so no president can be king, and we can't be little kings ourselves. We must get low to see him on high and see the king that has something to say about how, what's going on in our world. And so we got high. That's the last time I'll use that phrase. We got low. Now let's get saved. Now, <laughs> what do I mean by that? The deep cry of the people is Hosanna, right? We said that what that means was save us. It's that guttural cry, save us, deliver us. And that's what every single person in this room needs desperately, to be saved. Now, some of us want to focus only on that deliverance from eternal hell, and we need that. But there's also a, 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 a saving from all of our, our current pains and groanings, and we need that too. Into both of these camps, I want you to hear that Jesus saves. He saves with both. This is what theologians call, as Malcolm talked about earlier, the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. And what Jesus does when he comes on the scene, we see the already nature of the kingdom breaking in to our world. Earlier we prayed, thy kingdom come. Or th we didn't do that today. That was last week. Thy kingdom come. I'm just so excited about that prayer. <laughs> on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're saying already, break into this kingdom. I need you to break into this kingdom already, right now. Luke 4, 18 tells us of what Jesus' ministry is. It's proclaiming good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And he is doing those things. Jesus is remaking our world now. But we also see that the not yet is happening as well. And some of y'all see that all too clearly. Let me give you a $10 word here you can use for free, though. Uh, that the kingdom is inaugurated, but it's not consummated. The kingdom is inaugurated, it's begun, but it's not consummated, it's not complete. And so God has inaugurated his kingdom, but it's not yet complete. And I will tell you, the people who I think know this truth better than anyone else is our teachers. Who can feel this truth better than anyone else is probably our teachers. Last week I got to talk to some of them in a conversation and hear of some of those heartbreaking things that are happening in our schools right now. And yet at the same time had some most encouraging news in those conversations of the exact same conversation. So what are hap what's happening? Yes, let's say a kid may fail. But because we have quotas and numbers to meet as a state, as these systems and institutions, we just pass them on because we have to meet those quotas. And so the child who didn't pass the first stage is now being tested at the fourth and fifth stage. And they don't understand how to get to that point. And so we are failing our kids. And these kids are also having these brutal fights. These little babies are having these brutal fights. And we're wondering, is anything going to change? And so we're feeling the not yet of the kingdom very clearly. Some of y'all may have felt the not yet of the kingdom very clearly this week. Just the pains and the groanings of this world. In that same conversation, I heard Shirley, who is one of my favorite preachers, I heard Shirley preach the gospel to me that day, and anyone who would hear it, that God is on the throne. And she came in preaching the gospel that, it's okay, Jesus has already won. 
Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent and he has won. They're like, yes, thank you. She is, oh, I love it. That the devil's skull was broken at Christ's death. At Christ's death. It was the death of death in the death of Christ. That's John Owen, that's not me. The death of death in the death of Christ is when Jesus came and he killed the devil. And when he walked out of the grave with that swagger, so will we. So Jesus is the victor. Hosanna, Lord, save us, our bodies and our souls. Like, this is the already and the not yet of the kingdom. That the devil's expiration date has been set. It's been set. And now the milk is just getting more and more putrid. And we're just smelling it more and more. That the expiration date has been set. Victory is won, and yet there's still much more to come. As good as some things may be for you in your life right now, it's nothing compared to what it will be, right? Because the first time when Jesus came, he came riding in on a donkey. But the second time he comes, he's not going to be on a donkey. He's going to come riding in on the clouds. When he comes to Jerusalem, he's riding the clouds in this victory march. And in that day, we will not be waving palm branches as they did in the first time. Oh, it's beautiful what they waved the palm branches then. But in that day, we won't get to wave the palm branches because the trees themselves will be waving themselves in joy and jubilee. Have you ever seen a tree dance? Oh, it's beautiful. You ever seen a tree just swaying back and forth in the wind? It's almost as if they're dancing. Oh, I just, it seems like they're, they're joyful in that moment, that they have all this life. That's what the Bible tells us is what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Psalm 96 says, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it, let all the trees of the forest sing for joy, let all creation rejoice before the Lord. Isn't it beautiful? Wherever the Lord walks into into a room, into nature, it just blooms, it flourishes. Isaiah 55 tells us that when the king comes back for good, that the mountains and the hills and the trees are going to clap. Now, I know some of y'all have some trouble clapping on beat. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. The Lord has said, I'm going to let the trees clap for you because you could do it. (laughs) The trees are going to be clapping for us because wherever the king goes, Nature will be blooming and flourishing and will be worshiping God there alongside of us. Isn't that beautiful? And then right now, the already, or the not yet, but right now, what is he doing now? God is at work right now because when you get saved, we think getting saved is checking off a box. I got saved today. I prayed the prayer. Romans 10, I just got saved. But Romans 10 has more to say than just that you believe that Jesus paid for your death, that you believe that Jesus is your savior. You also have to confess that Jesus is Lord of your life, right? That Jesus is Lord with my mouth. I have to say, I have, I have a new loyalty. I have a new allegiance when I become a Christian. That I believe Jesus, life and death and resurrection, all of that paid for my sins. But now I'm confessing Jesus is Lord of my life and I have a new allegiance that I'm, I'm committing my life to him. And so when God saves you, He saves you, and then now he makes you conduits of his kingdom. He makes you conduits of his kingdom here on earth, because then God puts his Holy Spirit into your heart. And so wherever wherever God goes, remember, creation flourishes. So, if the Holy Spirit is now in your heart, wherever Christians go, 
Creation should flourish. Creation should bloom. So, where Christians go, hospitals should be built. Where Christians go, poverty should reduce. The elderly should have someone with them when they're dying. Where Christians go, prisons won't make profits. Where Christians go, social workers would just flood the place. Teachers would get paid. (laughs) And then they would come with joy teaching their children. Hosanna, save us. Be at work in this world. Like, does our community see Christians this way? Not yet, but we can. We can show them this as conduits of the kingdom, as heralds of hope. Telling of the hope that's breaking into this world. The king has come, but he's going to come again. And in that day, it's going to be a day that we all rejoice. Where the palms and the trees will be singing. And if, and if they're singing, what are we going to be doing? If they're keeping us on beat, some of y'all got better beat. <laughs> but if they're keeping us on beat, what are we going to be doing? We'll be dancing. You'll learn to have bodies that know how to dance in the new heavens. Oh, brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is king and not the king of the mountain to push anyone down, but he's the king who lays down his life for you and me. Oh, I, I love what we see in this passage. That when, wherever you see Jesus king, creation celebrates. When you make Jesus the king of the world, it will change you, but remember, we're in a different kingdom right now. They already did not yet. And so when you, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, the kingdom of this world will laugh at you. The kingdom of this world will not understand what this means. It doesn't make sense to take a whole day off of work in that kingdom. In that kingdom, it doesn't make sense to be faithful to only one person in that kingdom. In that kingdom, it doesn't make sense to show grace and mercy to somebody. It doesn't make sense to actually fight for justice. It doesn't make sense to join a small group in that kingdom, to see these random strangers and to open yourself up, to make them part of your family, to to be vulnerable with people. It doesn't make sense in that kingdom. But when the Holy Spirit comes, not as he just take over your heart, he actually starts changing your taste buds. I used to not like sushi and now I love sushi. Wish we had some better sushi places around. God can change your taste buds, not just about sushi. He will start changing your taste buds to actually want him to be Lord of your life. To actually care for those things. And what happens when he does that? You're going to taste something bitter and something sweet. It's going to be bittersweet because when Jesus is Lord, the bitter part is that means I am not. And that can be very bitter to taste at first. At the same time, because Jesus is Lord, the sweet part is, I am not. And that is very sweet for some of us, to know that I'm not the king in my life that feels out of control, and I've been struggling hard to hold on to that control. It's sweet to know that there is a Lord on the throne, and I can let him be in charge. I can let him lead. Oh, it's refreshing. And so today... Recount the points here to get high, to wave the palms, to see the king in all his glory, to get low, see how he came in on a donkey and ultimately died for you and me. And then I say to get saved. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love for you to know him today. But if you do know him, 
Rest in that. Rest in that he has a victory over the devil. And you, you actually know your salvation is true. And then let's just be heralds of hope to a world that's desperate to see it. Let's pray.